What are the latest palliative treatments for end-stage diabetes? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special Clinician's Roundtable on Diabetes. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Timothy Quill, Professor of Medicine, Psychiatry, and Medical Humanities at the University of Rochester School of Medicine in Rochester, New York, and the Chairman of the Ethics Committee of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. Dr. Quill, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. What symptoms characterize end-stage diabetes? I think there are a range of symptoms that characterize end-stage diabetes. Certainly most people with very advanced diabetes have neuropathy, meaning that their nerves aren't functioning fully normally, so they may have numbness or a lot of pain in their hands and feet, and that can really dominate their experience. Others may experience fatigue, may find themselves in low energy states, and then still others may have complications from cardiovascular disease or renal disease. So there's a large range of things that can happen in the very late stages of diabetes. Is there a cure? A cure for diabetes, I'm afraid that there's a lot of hope about cure with transplantation, and there may be a cure down the road. But for right now, it's really managing the disease as best one can with some of the newer treatments and and trying to keep the glucose as normal as possible. For people who do have the pancreas transplants, what's their prognosis? The jury is still out on how this is all going to go. There have been studies. I think others are probably more expert on this than I am. But I think there is still large difficulties in terms of trying to keep the transplanted pancreas uh, functioning over time and not being rejected by the patient's own immune system. So I think we're still in the sort of searching stage of this treatment. Still, a lot of people have promise in this area, but I'm afraid that we're not there yet. What do patients with end-stage diabetes die from? A lot die from vascular problems. I think that's probably the most common cause of death with people with diabetes, so that the atherosclerosis, the blood vessels get clogged, perhaps from running higher than normal sugars over time, and therefore circulation problems to the feet, to the kidneys, to other parts of the body end up producing a lot of problems. They also may die from infections. People with advanced diabetes are a little more vulnerable to infections, and many have failing kidneys so that they may need to make decisions about whether to go on to kidney dialysis or not. So they have some tougher decisions in that regard, and if they go on to dialysis, they need to make decisions over time whether to stay on dialysis. So there's a whole range of serious medical issues to be confronted. When is it appropriate to refer a patient with end-stage diabetes to hospice? A better question is when is it appropriate to refer such a patient for palliative care? You know, palliative care is really a treatment plan that is directed toward maximizing a patient's quality of life that can be delivered right alongside the most aggressive medical treatment. So Palliative care doesn't preclude getting aggressive treatment to diabetes or to any of the complications of diabetes, but it still would ensure the best possible pain and symptom management, the best possible attention to a patient's quality of life at the same time that they were looking at any traditional medical options that might help. Hospice, on the other hand, is really for people who are really getting near the end stage of their life and who may be talking about stopping some or all treatments that they've been involved in. And I think that's a that's a much more complex mountain to climb. People th- usually think about hospice when some something dramatic has happened to change their status so that they're saying, is this 
is this really worth it, what I'm going through? And I think that's hospice. But palliative care is much, much earlier and really should be part of the treatment plan for all patients with serious diabetes. In particular, what does palliative care have to offer? At the simplest level, if people have painful neuropathy, painful nerves in their hands and feet, and they're having to struggle with pain on a day-to-day basis, we have real expertise in trying to manage that pain, getting it down to a very low level. And if people have moderate to severe pain every day, their ability to enjoy life is markedly diminished. So if we can get that down so the pain is very much in the background, their level of enjoyment is much, much greater. There's also issues with diabetes in terms of planning for the future. So people with very advanced diabetes have some more uncertainty in their future than other people do, and they may want to say, well, I'm I'm willing to take this treatment now, but boy, if I lose the ability to speak for myself, then I'd really want hospice care or only treatment to keep me comfortable. Palliative care might allow people to think those things through while they're still relatively healthy and capable so that they set some boundaries on what they're willing to get into in the future. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special Clinician's Roundtable on Diabetes on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Timothy Quill discussing end-stage diabetes. Dr. Quill, what is your best advice for starting that hospice conversation? Well, Again, I think the best advice for starting that conversation, again, I think it would be to not have it be a hospice conversation, but have it be a palliative care conversation where you're going to say, we want at the same time that we're giving you the best possible treatment of the physiology of your diabetes, we want to make your quality of life the best it can possibly be. And there are people with expertise in this area and most major medical centers so I think I think most people can understand that they want to have their quality of life maximized. They want to live as well as they can, as long as they can, and really palliative care is, is the way to go with that. The hospice conversation has to do much more when, when I think levels of suffering get very high, prognosis starts to get very poor, and, and questions are being raised about, gee, is this too much of the medical treatment that I'm going through? Should I set more limits on that? Often palliative care doctors can help patients sort that out, and and people are often willing to tolerate a lot of medical treatment to live longer. But many people need to talk that through, and and talking it through with a good palliative care clinician would be great. Is the insulin pump helpful at this stage? Well, I think the insulin pump is probably most helpful at an earlier stage, but I think managing one's diabetes as, as carefully and closely as one can is generally a very good idea. When one gets toward the very end stage, the hospice stage, when you're talking about quality of life, insulin pumps are a little more tricky because as people get really sick, their ability to eat may diminish and and you may tend to let sugars run a little bit higher because the risk is really much more low blood sugar than higher blood sugar. So the pumps are a little more tricky in that domain. One, One might consider a less aggressive approach to diabetes at the very end. How about inhaled insulin? I'm not an expert in inhaled insulin, so I would say the jury is pretty much out uh, from my point of view about that. I don't think it has the precision that other kinds of insulin really would, would have, so I'm not sure it would have a lot of utility in these in these circumstances. Are there medications that can help stimulate the immune system in patients with end-stage diabetes to help prevent infections? I'm not sure that there are. I, th- I think the best preventive of infection in this circumstance would be to get the best possible diabetic control that one can get. 
I think you have to certainly take all the preventive treatments, you know, flu shots and the like, because people with diabetes are very vulnerable to many different kinds of infections and probably pay attention to what kinds of exposures you're seeing in the world. So having people who are sick with other things, not come around colds and the like. But I think staying active, trying to keep the diabetes under as good a control as possible are the best preventives there probably are. When do you stop giving insulin to a diabetic at the end of life? There are two kinds of diabetes, as your other guests will probably talk about, but there's one where people don't make any insulin in which case, if they don't make any insulin, if you don't give them any insulin, they will not live very long. Probably more common are people who make some insulin, it's just not enough. And I think toward the end of life, people tend to eat less, drink less, and again, if they run a little bit higher sugar, it's less important. So I think the risks of low sugar are greater than the risk of high sugar. So in those circumstances, you might stop insulin or other diabetic treatment And you may or may not continue to monitor sugars, but you probably wouldn't shoot for as tight a control as one would shoot for earlier in the disease. How do you respond to loved ones who are so fixated on that treatment, those insulin shots? That's something that they can do, and then the palliative care hospice doctors may be saying, we don't need to monitor that anymore. Well, I think in the palliative care zone, we'd be talking about monitoring that and helping people figure out the best monitoring strategy. I think in... So again, this is care that's delivered right alongside the best possible medical treatment, most aggressive treatment. In the hospice area, it's all about quality of life in that circumstance. So if it means a lot to a patient or family to continue to check those sugars, we continue to check them. On the other hand, if people say it's a little bit difficult, I hate those needle sticks, I would rather have the diet things that I've been avoiding for the last 20 years, we liberalize diets, so we have people eating ice cream for the first time in many years toward the end of their life, and they, they're very happy with that. It's a very liberating feeling. So again, we really try to individualize depending on what's most important to a particular patient and their family. How do you walk the patient and the family through the discussion about discontinuing dialysis? Well, most often this discussion comes up because there's been a major crisis. A patient has had a new event that changes the circumstances that they, you know, they made a decision to go on to dialysis to live longer because they felt it was really worth it to them. Now something's happened and that has been brought into question. They've had a major stroke. They've had some change in cognitive function. They're so weak now, their quality of life is very poor. So usually it the question comes out of something that's happened clinically, or oftentimes a patient or family member will raise it. And we try to think through with them whether the benefits of continuing dialysis outweigh the burdens. Dialysis is not a simple treatment. One has to go and have significant things done to them, usually three times a week, and really try to think with them, does this make sense for them at this stage of illness or not? If it doesn't, then we might talk about stopping again. It's not something we undertake lightly. So if a person is going through a bad day or a bad patch, we'll often say, well, let's hang in there for a while and see if you don't start to feel better and hopefully we can improve things. But then if we really can't or if they really want to stop, then we really do allow them. Dialysis is a treatment that people can choose not to have. 
And to some degree, that's liberating because it means you could try dialysis if you weren't sure you would like it. And if you really didn't like it, you could stop it at any time. Describe the physiology of what happens when a patient does discontinue dialysis. Usually, the patients who discontinue dialysis are pretty sick when they make that decision. So they're sick in other ways. They're very weakened. They're often not eating or drinking normally. And usually what happens is they, depending on how sick they were at the start of this, they may get a little bit more sleepy over time as the toxins that would usually be filtered by the kidneys build up. So they're often at whatever state they make the decision for four or five days, but then they get sleepier. And then eventually they would gradually go into a coma or a deep sleep of some kind. Dr. Quill, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss end-stage diabetes. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Susan Dolan, and you've been listening to a special Clinician's Roundtable on diabetes on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.